0: This is A Space to Speak Your Mind. We're a radio show and a podcast about mental health made by people with lived experience in association with Cornwall Mind. We do cover subjects that some listeners may find distressing. And if you'd like support or more information, please visit cornwallmind.org. And if you'd like to be a part of the show or send us your thoughts, we'd love to hear from you too.
1: A Space to Speak Your Mind with Cornwall Mind for better mental health.
2: Welcome to A Space to Speak Your Mind with Richard and Jane. It's our July show and lots to talk about this month as further restrictions around lockdown are due to take place and how the legacy of the pandemic has had its effect on our well-being.
0: And this month we're looking at how working in the NHS is affecting employees' mental health.
2: And I'll be discovering how a new app can get older people physically and mentally active.
0: And I'll be chatting to Dr Sam Wass, who's from Channel 5's show The Secret of 4 and 5 Year Olds, about the effects of the pandemic on this age group and finding out how isolation has affected the older generation.
2: Also coming up is Scott explaining how chronic fatigue syndrome affects our mental health, but first up we welcome to the show Dr Martin Godfrey, a GP in South London, about how NHS employees are experiencing poor mental health due to the pandemic.
1: A space to speak your mind with Cornwall Mind for better mental health.
0: Well, hi there, Dr. Godfrey, and thanks very much for joining us on a space to speak your mind. Just to begin with, I understand that you're a GP in London and you've got a very lifelong interest in health in informatics. Yeah, I'm just wondering if you could give us our listeners an overview of the research that you've been involved in.
3: Yes, there's. Um, uh, I think that the most pertinent piece of research is um, something that's just been carried out by uh, a company called Census Wide on behalf of the Cybercare. And they've done some really interesting polling of NHS staff. And have come up with some, I think, quite really very worrying statistics. I think that uh, perhaps the worst of which is that 45%, almost half of staff are thinking of leaving the NHS, with over half of them experiencing anxiety and worrying, and just generally worrying about the future. And I think that, interestingly, the top reasons that they are citing for these thoughts are because of worrying about uh, their high workloads, about their mental health, well-being, and just generally about this uh, work-life balance. You know, for many of us now, you know, we're regularly working 12-hour days with no breaks, and uh, it's just exhausting. And I think that we all want to help our patients. And we're just sometimes, particularly towards the end of the day, you're just not in the best of uh, physical and mental states to do what you necessarily need to do. I mean, I think when lockdown began, we had an interestingly different sort of level of stress, but particularly in primary care, we've really been hit by two different verticals of, of issue. One is the backlog of cases, basically, that aren't being treated and managed in hospital because of COVID, etc., and therefore you're seeing many more patients who are waiting for months and months and months for chronic disease treatments, and then also the patients who you would normally want to be seen more quickly, cancer patients, et cetera, who ongoing treatment is delayed. But then the bigger vertical of issue is mental health. There has been an explosion in mental health problems hitting primary care. Uh, I can remember before lockdown, I would perhaps see two or three patients with mental health problems in an average surgery of, say, 15 to 20 patients. Now, at least half, maybe two thirds will have a mental health problem. And you know, you're regularly speaking to people who are actually on the brink saying, you know, I've been thinking about suicide, I'm self-harming, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And obviously, that conversation can't be had in, in a couple of minutes, You know, and you can't say, well, here's some antibiotics.
0: So are you really thinking that the introduction of Homeworking that's been described in the research using remote working systems. Would that work for these sort of people who are suffering from mental health problems more than perhaps people with physical problems?
3: Yeah, I mean, because I think that you remember before lockdown when you would have to come into a packed waiting room surrounded by ill people and often wait perhaps for an hour. And now you can book an appointment, you're in the comfort of your own home, have a cup of coffee and make contact. You can see the doctor. And I think particularly for mental health issues where a sort of physical examination isn't necessary, potentially sometimes it is, but in most times what you need is to look at the nonverbal communications. What's the patient? How are they holding themselves? Is there eye contact? Are they in tears? And uh, you can do that so easily on a, a video consultation. And one of the shames is it's not being used enough.
0: Yeah, well, I was going to say that similar systems are currently working in primary care, especially with the telephone triage now. And how do you think this experience could help with hospital-based digital technology? I mean, is, are we going to be able to use similar technology or will this need more research?
3: No, absolutely. I mean, I remember being in a meeting a couple of years ago where somebody said that uh, the outpatient system is not fit for purpose. It's not working any longer, which at the time seemed quite shocking since that was what we'd just been brought up with. You know, you'd go to the hospital and wait and see the consultant. And it isn't, you know, quite often patients are coming back and really waiting a long time to be told that their results are all fine. And so hospitals are beginning to embrace remote consulting, using the internet more effectively. And that can only be beneficial because it means that the people who really need the time, really need to be examined and really need to have tests, you know, they can be seen more quickly. But it, it's, you know, it's not happening at the moment.
0: So you feel that the, the research that's already been done is actually going to be helping the future, you know, if, if this is implemented. And, and I was going to say to you, who, who would actually, I mean, is it coming right from the very top, the decision to implement this sort of change? Or is it going to be worked out at the local level?
3: I think that that um, there is a, certainly an aspiration from NHS England to move to a digital future. There is now yeah. NHS Digital, which is uh, driving this. But ultimately, the way to ensure that it works is locally. I think that every practice has a different sort of population. My practice in South London, for instance, is largely younger and uh, somewhat more affluent, perhaps, than others A lot of patients can afford private healthcare, for instance, whereas another practice I work in is a lot older, a lot more chronic disease. And really, for those younger patients, online consultations are very popular. The older patients, sometimes they they still do want to sit in front of of you and feel the comfort that uh, you can, there's some touch involved, but certainly not in 100% of cases.
0: No, I was going to say the next thing I was going to mention was that how do you think patients would feel about the potential change to their care? And particularly, as you've already mentioned, the elderly and people who aren't tech savvy, for example, who aren't able to sort of access a computer or would feel totally freaked out by the thought.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think there is no one solution. And I think that whereas in the past, there wasn't one solution, which was you had to come in and see the doctor. I think in future, there'll be a sort of smorgasbord of a, sort of a choice of certainly, if you need to, or if you wish to come in and see the doctor, if you have something which needs to be sorted quickly, then you know you need to repeat prescription or whatever, because go online, do it digitally. Or if you are worried about catching a disease, for instance, or you just don't want to wait in a busy waiting room, want to have a cup of coffee and wait and see your doctor, but uh, do it and be in control, I suppose, the situation, then uh, I think that'll be very attractive. So you will have the choice of doing and having those interactions, whereas in the past you didn't.
0: No, I think that sounds very positive, actually. The fact that there's a choice is going to make a big difference to a lot of people, especially those who don't want to sit around in waiting rooms, and understandably so. So in terms of um, people who are in patient-facing roles, or doctors and nurses, how do you think this could work? I mean, is it possible that we do already do some consultations over the phone, I I presume? Can it actually work for physical problems as well as mental health?
3: Yes, certainly. And I think that um, at the moment, most of our consultations are over the phone. I think that um, there are a number of benefits from being able to have a video consultation, for instance, not least by looking at this work life balance of the doctor or the nurse. I mean, for many doctors, they, I know particularly those with heavy family commitments, the possibility of being able to see a list of patients from their home would certainly, I think, make the difference between giving up and staying in practice. And I think particularly at video consultations, you know, there is always, if the doctor wishes, they can say, let's see you then, and they can come in and have an examination. But but, as an initial contact or or ongoing contact, then, uh, uh, you know, there are models in other countries like Sweden, for instance, where this has been very popular.
0: That is another question I was going to ask you, whether there were already services set up to actually incorporate this technology, and you've just answered that question. So it's good to know that it's successful and it's been tested elsewhere. Well, that's great. Thank you very much for that information. I'm sure people will find that very interesting. And in terms of the staff and the effect that that's going to have on their their mental health and also on their well-being, it sounds like that's going to make a dramatic difference. And if it stops people leaving, then that's the most important thing, I think, for us patients.
3: Yes, it is. I think, uh, I mean, things are pretty tough at the moment, but there are lights of hope in the future.
0: Sounds good, doesn't it? Can we direct anybody to any other places where they might find further information? Or is it just a matter of watching out for what comes up on the news?
3: If you look online, it's your local CCG. They will a lot of information that is specific for your area. And then, they, you know, there are various commercial companies such as Veseba Care, for instance, that has a website that has lots of information about uh, how you can access online and particularly video consultations.
0: Wonderful. That's super. Well, thank you very much for that information. I think everyone would have found that really interesting. Okay. Thank you. My pleasure.
3: A space
2: to speak your mind with Cornwall Mind for better mental health. Yeah, really interesting to hear from Dr. Martin Godfrey there, Jane. And remember, we've all gone through this experience together, and I've got lots of friends working in healthcare. They sometimes have to put on a brave face or not let emotions show, but we have to support everyone together, don't we?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I get what Dr. Godfrey's saying about the remote working will help staff, you know, it will lessen the stress. But I'm just not sure how patients are going to react to that. I don't know how I would feel if I was feeling really poorly, you know, how sitting at my computer would actually make me feel reassured. I understand what he's saying that it has been trialled and people don't mind but I do think it depends on what's wrong.
2: Yeah I think one good thing that has come through is how technology is able to make different working practices viable but I do agree with you I think it's not necessarily going to be something that happens overnight. I think what might happen is the fact that it can be something extra so you know we're talking about people in the NHS who might otherwise feel that they have to take time off or might even want to leave the profession so having something that might alleviate some of what they're going through or at least put a different working situation for them. At least there's some kind of glimmer of hope, isn't there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, something's got to be done because the stress levels are so high and so many people are leaving and there are so many job vacancies in the NHS. Something's got to be done to make life easier. And so, yeah, I can understand where he's coming from or where the research is coming from. And let's just hope that whatever happens will improve the situation for all of us. A
2: space to speak your mind listening to a space to speak your mind and jane i sometimes wonder whether older people get forgotten when it comes to their physical and mental health although a lot of people want to be physically active they can't necessarily get to places or there's not that infrastructure around them
0: yeah that's very true i mean sometimes they can't get out mobility problems or even just transport problems or even due to being self-isolating due to the dreadful pandemic situation so next up we've got henry blofeld and dame Sandra rhodes talking about how older people have coped with lockdown and also about a new app, which can get people more physically and mentally
1: active. A Space to Speak
2: Your Mind. It's A Space to Speak Your Mind, and we welcome to the show Henry Blofeld OBE and game Zandra Rhodes. Hello to you both. Hello, hello. My dear old thing. Oh, fantastic. Really good to hear from you both. How are we finding that the over-50s, and particularly over-65s, are looking after their physical and mental health? Are they doing this as much as they should be, do you think?
4: Oh, that's difficult to say. I mean... <laughs> I try and look after mine. <laughs> well, I mean, I,
2: it, it's so difficult. You can't look after
5: other people's, really, can you? I mean, I just think the only th- great thing in life is enthusiasm. Keep young, keep wanting to look around and the next corner. Keep seeing
4: people if you can. Yes, absolutely. That
5: keeps you young. And I find that I'm still as optimistic in a funny way, as ambitious as ever I was. And I, when I wake up, you know, there are lots of, of right angle bends in front of me each morning. And I want to get around them and see what's on the other side. Oh,
4: exactly. I mean, I feel more enthusiastic than I never felt, I think.
5: I agree with that absolutely entirely, Sandra. Um, you know. I think I, when I, we were in lockdown, the one thing that really turned me off was the fact that I became sluggish. And I realized how desperately I needed the adrenaline of my normal, busy life, which is just beginning to start again. And I'm loving it. And oh. I, I didn't think I was going to be able to cope with it. I just wondered if a year off and I, I'm now 81 I, and all the rest, but not a bit of it. I'm raring to go.
4: I feel exactly the same and I think what's been wonderful is coming up with something like Goldstone that people can get involved in and feel that they still want to do lots of things
5: The only thing I wish as as a performer as we both are is that I could see more of the audience because their questions are so good and I always like to see people's faces you know because I think when you see people reacting it's good and it
4: helps you actually fun enough It was so wonderful I went out on the day before yesterday to an exhibition at v and a woman rushed up to me and said she'd seen me on Goldster, which was
2: fabulous. And so I could get a bit of personal input. Yeah, so tell me about this. So this is Goldster. So you're you're performing or you're presenting virtual live classes. So just explain how they work and what they are then for me.
4: People enroll to take part in the classes that we do. I mean, Henry will be enchanting to watch. I'm going to make sure I get enrolled in his. And mine, I've talked about my career. And now I'm going to talk about maybe how I do drawings and what I do to keep inspired so that people watching can see what my life's involved with
5: I think the great thing about you Sandra if I may say so my old father always said one thing to me which was never miss the chance to see a world champion in action <laughs> and if you see skill, no no don't laugh if you see skill at the highest level which is what you produce I think it's fascinating I think it's wonderful not only looking at what you actually produce and the zest the enthusiasm the energy that goes into it but I think also the very fact of skill is something right the peak is in itself very absorbing and I'd like to think this is in a way what certainly what you will give. I mean they will love watching you and I would like to think when they watch me, they will think well, well, there's a will, there's a way, you know, take anything on, take on the challenge, go and, and fight for it, which has well, yes. been my rather wet philosophy.
4: Oh, it's lovely. I mean, well, I know because I was lucky enough to be in our program together in India. So <laughs> well, fun. that was such fun as well. You know, so I think it would be fun letting people know how much we love our work and leading them into other things so that they can have that enthusiasm.
5: Don't you think one of the great things is to, that we both enjoyed probably is looking for the unexpected and coping with the unexpected. I mean, I find that I love people as it were to come up behind me and tap me on the shoulder or either I've never seen before or I haven't seen for 25 years. I love the unexpected to happen. I love going into a shop and seeing something that I hadn't in a, thought about for a million years Yes, it's big. And you you can buy it. It is wonderful.
2: This sounds exciting. So just to explain a little bit more. So this is that are They're doing these live classes, aren't they? So we're aiming at the over 50s. And it's for people to get involved in physical activity and to do different kinds of things. isn't it? And do you think that's an important thing for people to do?
4: Well, if you sit back, you're just rot. I think that the whole thing is that it's come at a time when people might have to have been shut up. And they're not shut up anymore because through the computer... They can open up and have these classes and be involved in all sorts of different things that they're interested in.
2: There's things like painting and yoga and photography. There's, there's a wide range of things, isn't it, really? Well, I think something like yoga, any
5: of those things, you're going to meet new people, you're going to be in a new situation, you're going to suddenly approach something that you've not seen before. And if you keep an open mind, something some of it's going to stick, some of it's going to fascinate you. And I think I love personally always meeting new people because you just never know. People are exciting. People are the only real intangible in life, aren't they? I mean, this glass case I've got in my hand now it will always be a glass case, but the words that come out of the person opposite.
4: And then you've got the people and they're able to send in their questions and you can answer their questions and they can actually be involved in your life. And you don't always know what the questions are going to be. So it's a live class that's taking place and you don't know how it's going to develop.
5: And I think the questions are interesting, too, from my point of view, because some of them are rather surprising and come from left field, as it were. And you think, well, now, how could someone's mind actually work that out? How splendid that they have, because it, it sort of puts in a new perception. Love, on. A
2: lovely. I think it's super. Mm. I just want to ask you just quickly, as far as, because we we concentrate on on this show a lot about mental health as well as physical health. So I'm just wondering, do you think enough attention is being given to older people around mental health? I know the young talk about it a lot more than maybe the the older population, but do you think that that, that's changing? And Do you think we're being a bit more open towards our mental health as well as our physical health now?
5: I think personally, yes. I think one reads about it enormously, doesn't one? And I mean, after all, with all the business that's gone on with uh, Prince Harry and all of that, there is a greater awareness of it,
4: but I mean the whole point about something like goldster is you've got enough people, so you've got an exchange of all sorts of things. So it jumps over the problems of lockdown, allowing you to expand and and do things without necessarily being able to go out. But it's as if you feel you can go out. It teaches
5: people more and more to communicate, and communication is the basis of anything. If you've got problems and can't communicate, problems become much worse because they become they go round. Inside you, You can't yes. get out. But if you can communicate to show interest and when you show interest, inevitably questions arise. And I think this is a tremendously good process. And they will, without consciously thinking about it, turn to their own mental health if they have problems and talk about that. And as soon as someone starts to talk about their mental health, you feel they're on the way up.
4: Yes, I think, you know, it's an exchange of ideas, and it's a lovely medium, and they've managed to to start all these different things. I feel very excited to be involved with it.
5: I wasn't really so sure about it when I first began, but halfway through my first class, it gripped me.
4: Well, I was really nervous, because I, I was sort of like, and then some a lovely lady, when the audience said, don't be so nervous, do you know <laughs> what I mean? So, you know, it was because mine was first of all telling about how my career started, and now I'm going to get into. Showing them my drawings and things, as you know, because we were on a trip to India, so you saw me doing some of them. <laughs> and you're wearing
5: a oh, home now to tell our listeners about what you're wearing, oh, it's absolutely wonderful oh,
4: bright sunshine, yellow covered with flowers. It's very nice. Little yellow lady with a big
2: pink brooch. <laughs> I can just picture it. Listen, it sounds fantastic. You've got such enthusiasm, I mean, it's so great. So I think people are get a lot of benefit from this. Thank you so much, both of you, today. I know it's been a bit of a rush, but uh, I hope you've enjoyed it And I hope you have a really good day today, okay? We will.
1: <laughs> a space to speak your mind.
0: Well, those two are amazing. I mean, given the fact that they're now getting what we might call older, they're just so full of enthusiasm. And I think they're a great advert for this new platform. So I was very impressed with their attitude towards getting more active and getting more involved. I personally haven't done anything like online yoga or online classes of any sort, but I certainly think it's worth checking out
2: yeah I think it's quite interesting again talking about how technology has kind of changed the world in the last 12 months and just that embrace of technology that they've been experiencing and I think a lot of people are going to things like yoga online I know that a lot of older people I come into contact with have embraced doing some activity or even just talking to people online it's such a good thing and I think what's great from what they're doing as well is that there is that social aspect as well that online community so uh, it feels much different from maybe 20 years ago where you couldn't have that social contact without leaving your home so i think that's a really good thing
0: yeah i think it's just something that um people like myself that's never done it before just need to get over and, and maybe just jump in and try it out and i suppose we'll all adapt and we'll all adjust but yeah i think it's a matter of jumping in with both feet and just seeing how it goes
2: It's A Space to Speak Your Mind with Richard and Jane. And we've talked already on the show about how older people have been coping with lockdown. But one thing we haven't touched upon is how they've been separated from their grandchildren and also having to social distance when they do meet up.
0: So, Richard, I've been speaking to Dr Sam Wass from Channel 5 about how young children have been affected by the pandemic. And it's very clear that reconnecting is extremely important now that the restrictions are ending.
1: A Space to Speak Your Mind with Cornwall Mind for Better Mental Health.
6: Hi, Jane. I'm Sam.
0: Oh, hello, Sam. Hi there. Thank you for spending the time with us on A Space to Speak Your Mind. I was going to start off just by asking you how important you think the relationship is, you know, between grandchildren and grandparents, and especially from a mental health perspective.
6: Yeah, so this is something that there's a massive amount to say from a research perspective, as well as my own personal perspective, the relationship for my kids with their grandparents has obviously been a massive factor for us during our lockdown. But from a research perspective, I mean, obviously, it's two ways. So let's talk first about how grandparents are affected by having their grandkids around. And then we can talk about it the other way, how the grandkids benefit. And I think from the grandparents benefit, I mean, there is a lot of different types of benefit. We're doing this as part of a campaign with Megabus, and they they did a lovely video with two grandparents, Lou and Nick, and uh, Lou used the lovely phrase, we've become very old since lockdown, and how they have got into a kind of a slow pace of life. And there is a lot of evidence, you know, certainly when we talk about kind of aging, in terms of kind of use it or lose it type kind of skills, but also just in terms of from a mental health perspective you know it's such a simple thing and it it feels very intuitive that the more time that you have coming at you you know where you have no choice but to deal with them, then the less time you have to worry about your more internalized things like your anxiety states and that type of thing and that's certainly very evidence-based when you just simply don't have time to worry about your own problems because you're having to fix a kid who's got their own very immediate problems then that does affect our state both short-term and long-term so that's one thing to say jane but the other really interesting thing that probably is probably less of an interest to you but is very interesting to As scientists, particularly because we don't really understand it yet, is the relationships between the amount of social interaction you have during older age and physical health outcomes as well. For example, you know, even cancer rates, but also life expectancy, there's quite a strong relationship between the amount of social contact and life expectancy. And honestly, we don't know why that is at the moment. We're just finding these relationships, uh, these correlations that come out between the amount of social contact and how long you live. But we really don't understand the mechanisms. We don't understand kind of why these relationships are there. So definitely, but both of those things would really strongly point, I think, to the fact that grandparents benefit from interacting with their grandkids.
0: Yeah, I must admit, I watched that video and I found it really poignant. It made me quite tearful, actually, because seeing that the effect of all the things that the children did for their grandparents, you know, the little special gift bag and the fact that they've done that poster for them, I thought it was amazing. And although I haven't got grandchildren myself, I can just imagine how people are going to be reacting the first time they see their grandchildren, you know, after so many months. And I'm just trying to imagine, you know, how those children are going to be feeling and uh, just trying to put myself in their position, really.
6: Yeah. It's such an interesting thing, Jane, and it's so different also, of course, for so many different families. I think the other key thing that we've been really keen to get across with this, what one thing that's in particularly important is the differences between physical contact and purely screen contact so we do get quite a lot from screens and obviously it's been massively important you know for so many families over the past year or so so we get that from eye contact so there's quite a lot of research into how young children are influenced by eye contact with their caregiver and we understand quite a lot about that but the research into physical touch is quite different and kind of probably works by quite different mechanisms so I'm doing a bit of research into that in my lab and we know that it sets off cascades of chemicals like oxytocin that you might have talked a bit about you know, which is kind of an affiliative bonding chemical so you know, physical touch helps us to form a feeling of social connectedness with someone but also the really strong thing and I think about this a lot with my own kids is just one of the effects is it's a big relaxant so it's one of the chemicals my wife when she goes into labour one of the things that, they, that she just, we just had another baby and oxytocin is one of the chemicals that they give as a relaxant and it has this kind of relaxing effect so for almost everybody particularly Really hugs what we call deep pressure kind of types they trigger a uh, kind of chemical releases which lead to a feeling of relaxation so that's a really really important aspect i think jane one quick study where this was done by some colleagues where they, they they administered a small amount of pain they had this kind of electric shock meter that you can tape onto your finger and sometimes they had participants holding hands with their loved one who was sitting next to them without any eye contact so they had no things other than they were holding hands through a screen and then sometimes they didn't And they found that the people who were holding hands actually reported less pain to the kind of electric shops than the people who weren't allowed to hold hands. So that kind of points to this idea, which is obviously really, really important to us now as we're starting to move from meeting up on screens to meeting up social, kind of physically, just how important touch is and how it operates through different mechanisms and sets off different kind of chemical responses to eye gaze.
0: What do you think we should be telling the grandchildren, the children that people are going back to see? Do you think we should be honest with them about how we felt or... Should we sort of try and shield them a bit from the pain that we've all felt?
6: That's a really tricky question, Jane. I mean, one of the things that from talking to lots of parents through lockdown, one of the things that a of parents have found very challenging is this idea of kind of juggling lots of different roles. And in a way, the degree to which you want to open up with your kids kind of probably varies a bit between these different roles, which makes it a really hard thing to answer. So, When you're thinking about yourself as an educator, I'm someone who's there to get my kids through their homeschooling to help them to be concentrated and act type of thing. Then teachers tend to not share very much about their own emotional state with the kids. I actually had this conversation with a couple of teacher friends of mine recently. As a teacher, you want to be, nothing's about me. I'm just being really consistent and I'm just applying the same sets of criteria to you. But then one of the other roles that a lot of parents have had to be playing during lockdown is you know as a friend, their kids are cut off from their friends, they're not getting the play time with their friends, so they're having to play that role too. And in that sense, as a friend, then you definitely want to be sharing you know how I'm feeling in myself as a way of you know building up relationships with my children and building up a series of feeling of trust with my children. Obviously, you know, it's very important from the child's point of view, if they're feeling stressed and anxious about something, it's really helpful to realise that their parent is also feeling stressed and anxious. But as I say, the answer to that varies between these different roles that parents have been having to play, which makes it such a hard question to give such a simple answer to.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can imagine it's a complicated sort of affair, really. Do you think there's going to be any long-term effects from missing out on the hugs and time together that we've missed?
6: Yeah, I mean, that's another really, really tricky question, Jane. Honestly, the answer is we don't know. So I do quite a lot of research with young kids in my lab, and all of the researchers who are running the testing sessions have been saying that, so we do quite a lot with babies, and for babies, of course, they've only ever known lockdown. And they've been saying there are big differences between the babies that we get through the lab now, how they interact with them as testers, compared to before. So definitely short term, it is having a big effect on some children. But in terms of how long these effects are going to last, the simple answer is we don't know. So it's a really, really hard question to answer. The thing that I think as part of this campaign, we're really trying to get across is there is a lot of benefit to these types of interaction. So it's worth almost everybody. One of the things that Megaboss was putting into the survey was, you know, how much are you looking forward to it? And of course, you know, as we expected, this is something that people have been really craving. But the thing is with a lot of cravings, Often we associate them with guilty pleasures, but this is definitely something where we crave it and it's very, very good for us too. So definitely the message is the more we can get back to regular day-to-day, face-to-face, physical interactions, the quicker that any problems that might have developed during lockdown are likely to go away.
0: What we're saying is it's best to get back to absolutely normal and try to almost, once we've explained what's happened, to try and just get away, you know, from what's happened and come back into the, into the moment, really.
6: Yeah, definitely. Which, of course, is much harder for some families than for others, Jane. One of the big differences, and, and a lot of people say this when you talk to them, particularly for grandparents, is it's about physical distance. So a lot of grandparents live very far away from their grandkids. The average grandparent spends a wonderfully precise figure of 89 hours and 52 minutes travelling to see their grandchildren a year, amounting to a cost of £240. So obviously. This is something that varies a lot between families and requires much more effort in some families than others. Most often it's the grandparents that are traveling to see the kids, you know, particularly if it's a more regular arrangement. And obviously for people as we get older, things like train travel can be really tricky. You know, if you've got a train journey with a lot of connections, very fast, kind of running between platforms and easy to get confused. You know, I'm the granddaughter age of 42 and I get confused at train junctions. So I can only imagine it's going to get worse later. So obviously, you know, there are a lot of practical challenges to be met as well.
0: So, I mean, what we're talking about is that these real grand reunions, as you call them, they're actually so important. And I was going to say that um, one of the things to do is to get on with them as soon as possible. One thing I wanted to ask you was, do you think that the effect of wearing masks on children is going to have much of an effect? Because they haven't been able to see people's expressions.
6: Yeah, that's a really interesting thing to think about. I mean, there is some research. I know some colleagues in America that are doing that. There definitely is evidence that during early life, babies use things like mouth cues, mouth movement cues, learning language, and as you say, Jane, and learning expressions. So again, it's something that we'll know more about in a couple of years as these studies are starting to come out, you know, what exactly the effects are. Honestly, from my family, the speed with which my kids have got used to the fact that we put on a mask when we go into the shop has just been amazing. You know, it's just a part of life, kids accommodate things. And of course, the amount of time they've seen not wearing masks is much, much higher because when we're at home, we don't wear masks like most people. And then it's only when we go out to the shop. So, so we'll see. It's interesting. What is potentially more concerning as a long-term effect is anxiety. And the idea of one of the other things that a lot of children find very hard is the idea of things being out of their control. The idea that I'm used to going to school and I want to go to school and I can't and things are being taken this decision is not being made by me or by people around me, it's being made by this big government that I don't even know who they are. You know, Obviously, that's something that a lot of adults find very challenging around lockdown. This idea of kind of lack of control is something that a lot of people kind of find very difficult to cope with. But for a lot of children, it's been their first experience of it. So I know from you know a lot of professional and personal interactions that that has been a real, real challenge for a lot of children.
0: Well, I was going to say, I'm trying to sort of ending on a positive note, really, just to say that. Yes, it's been a really hard time for everybody, but out of this is going to come some very, very interesting work for people like yourself. And I take it that that's going to sort of actually impact on the future of these children in time to come.
6: I think there is a positive now, Jane, which is this idea that we've all and this really came across very strongly from this survey by Megabus. We've really been craving this interaction, but it's a good craving. It's a healthy craving. All the science says there's a reason why we crave it. And it's because it's good for us. So That's really nice because we've been craving it for so long. It's really good for us. And now, as long as we do it carefully, we can finally have what we've been craving for so long.
0: Yeah, that's such a good thing to end on, isn't it? So where can people go for more information if they'd like that?
6: If you just Google Megabus and Grand Reunion, then all of this information will come up.
0: Wonderful. Well, thanks, Sam, very much for talking to us on A Space to Speak Your
6: Mind. Great. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Jane. A Space to Speak Your Mind with Cornwall
2: Mind for better mental health. And Jane, it's really great that people are having those connections again. You know, these formative years are really crucial for old children and how they make sense of the world and also creating bonds with others.
0: Yeah, I think what really struck me was that the effect that the isolation has had on older people and grandparents in particular and how desperately sad it is that they've missed their grandchildren. So, you know, for about 14 or 15 months... There's really been hardly any contact and that's bound to impact on the relationship. So it's almost a matter of, my goodness, they've grown up. And last time I saw them, they were tiny and now they're walking and talking. So I think it's going to be a bit of a shock.
2: It is because those first few years, there's so much that happens, isn't it? It's the walking, the talking. And as you say, they sort of change so much in just a short space of time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hopefully, meeting up again is going to be, well, less problematic than we think it will be because children are so adaptable, as Dr. Woss said. And travelling and getting to places hopefully will be easier for the older people now. It's been virtually impossible, you know, coming up until now. But as the restrictions are lifting, it's going to get easier. And also, there are lots of different transport systems, as he's describing. It will be easier for them to meet up with the grandchildren. A space to speak your mind. It's time to hear from Scott now, and he's going to be talking about how chronic fatigue syndrome, otherwise known as myalgic encephalomyelitis, can affect sufferers' mental health.
7: So the 12th of May 2021 was myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome, International Awareness Day. I suffer with a range of health difficulties, and this is actually my current working diagnosis. Uh, We're joined by Elizabeth Samba, who runs the support group I attend. Could you tell us a bit about yourself, Liz, and a bit about the illness itself?
8: Yeah. Hi, Scott. I'm actually a counsellor and a wellbeing coach and now help people specifically with ME and chronic fatigue and fibro to recover their health. And I run the, as you said, the Nuki Fibro support group for people with chronic fatigue and ME and fibro on a fortnightly basis. I actually suffered from ME chronic fatigue for years. Um, I was first diagnosed back in 2002 and I had it for a number of years and I'm not if I'm absolutely honest, not 100% healthy now. I have uh, other conditions alongside it.
7: I was watching a uh, a podcast last year, and this, I think it was a movie director, uh, said he spent seven years in bed with ME, chronic fatigue syndrome. And I've seen a number of stories like this over the years. What do you think the mental emotional impact is on people who are suffering with ME in that kind of situation or have been through it previously?
8: Yeah. I was looking up today actually on places like the ME Action Group and things like that and the Department of Health. And they don't mention a lot of the psychological difficulties that go along with ME. The thing with ME and chronic fatigue is that it's a really debilitating condition. It gives you fatigue, extreme fatigue. I'm not talking normal, like can't get out of bed today. It's just like extreme fatigue daily. It's ongoing. It doesn't sort of stop. You have ups and downs, but it doesn't sort of stop. And alongside that, you get a lot of other physical symptoms. So you get pain and IBS and there's lots of dizziness, things like that. But because of that, you're going to get mental health problems. You can see how all those physical conditions can have an effect on your mental health. You can get depressed. You can get despondent and feel useless And because it impacts so much on your ability to do physical things in the world. You probably can't work. You can't go out as much. You are bed bound. Some people are bed bound. I was for many years mainly bedbound. I had to get up because I had children. And it can impact on your feelings of worthlessness, of uselessness, of despondency, despair. And it can be extreme to the fact of suicidal ideation and wanting not to be here anymore.
7: Yeah, absolutely. So I personally spent four months near enough housebound with the symptoms that eventually led to the working diagnosis I currently have of chronic fatigue syndrome. When it can leave people in such a state why do you think there is so much stigma around this condition?
8: I think because people don't know what to do with it. I think ME is a diagnosis, it's an umbrella diagnosis. So basically nobody knows why we get these symptoms, okay? So that there is no reason, solid reason about why we get these symptoms at all. You know, you can't pick out, oh yeah, you've got hormone deficiency or your hormones aren't, it's such an umbrella term and you've been down other avenues to get rid of any other reason for your illness. And it's so vague and it's so up and down your symptoms fluctuate and so you don't know one day you might look okay next day you might be in bed for three weeks and I think that's what it is I think people don't understand it and can't understand it because there's no scientific reason for it yet and I think the more I think about it and the more I've looked and researched I think that's what it is there's no specific cause and there's no specific reason you can't see it like a broken leg, or you can't go into hospital and get it fixed, like a a heart valve or something like that. And I really think that's the reason.
7: Absolutely, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. What can people with this condition do to improve their symptoms?
8: Okay, there's a lot they can do. If you go to the doctor, the doctors, and I'm not dissing the doctors at all, some of my doctors have been marvellous, but there's very little room for them to do much apart from... Some drugs, I've just been looking at the NICE guidelines and it's all about pacing and managing the condition. I'm actually all about trying to get yourself as well as possible. So there's a lot of things you can do to help the condition. Basically, think normal things, diet. There's a lot you can do around diet. You can go gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, eat as healthily, nutrient-dense as you possibly can. Supplements, there's a lot of supplements you could take that will help on the the sort of fatigue side of it. You could see a, a nutritionist, a nutritionist will help you, a private nutritionist, a BANT registered private nutritionist will help you with all the supplements and diet, things that would help you. Sleep, obviously, sleep is one of our best things for our bodies to recover. So that's the best thing we can do. Rest is good. There's so much we can do. We can look at hormone testing. We can look at, virus load, toxic things that you put into your body. You want to take the toxic load off your body so you don't want to be adding to it with things like chemicals. And I'm sad to say, but alcohol, you know, all the normal things, alcohol, smoking, all that sort of thing. You want to take the toxic load off your body. There's also the mental and psychological stuff, the emotional stuff. You need to try and avoid stress, get rid of the stressful things in your life. That means anybody or anything that gives you stress, you need to sort of try and get those down and or eliminate them from your life. And then there's things like the positive things to do is to do things that make you happy. So find the little things that make you happy in life and include those. This is so important to include those in your life, preferably on a daily basis if possible. The people you love, the things you love doing, I don't know, flowers in a vase, anything that brings you sort of happiness and joy, you need to include those. And other things like meditation and things like that. Massages can help, but not always with some people. There's lots you can do. The mental health side of the ME and chronic fatigue is that some doctors still don't believe that ME and chronic fatigue is a physical cause. And so you can get some doctors actually want to prescribe you antidepressants and things like that and send you to psychiatrists and which, in my opinion, and in some of the opinions of some of the um, agencies that I've looked into, isn't that helpful unless your mental health and psychological symptoms are a part of the ME. ME, chronic fatigue, it is not a mental health condition. The Department of Health and the World Health Organization define it as a neurological condition. So it's not a mental health condition, but it has a mental health aspect to it. But you still get doctors who will say it's a psychological or psychiatric condition, which can lead to distress for some people because they don't get believed. And they'll get treatment as for a mental health condition rather than looking into the physical. And it has led to some people actually being sectioned and not necessarily for the right reasons.
7: OK, well, thank you first for joining us, Liz. Liz's details are available online. ME, chronic fatigue syndrome specialist, practitioner, counselling and well-being coach. And thank you
2: to Scott for that there. Jane, I've had personal experience of ME. For me, when I was in my 20s, I was quite ill, firstly with glandular fever and then later with experiences of stress and other things that were going on at the time. And I got to that point where I had many of the symptoms of ME, but it wasn't diagnosed back then. For me, I had a year of going to the doctors and I had all the tests that they had at the time and they eliminated many things, but ME was never even talked about. I know it's something that has been around and talked about within the medical profession for a while, but back in the 2000s, it took over a year before a doctor even said to me that, oh, by the way, there is this thing called ME. And when he explained to me what that was and what the symptoms were, I thought, That's exactly what I've been experiencing. And it shocked me. And it it took me a few years to recover. And it was a really slow process, that feeling of constant tiredness and aching and unable to do the simple things, as Scott was describing there. And I felt almost like I didn't believe it myself. So even now, I'm careful how much I take on or if I feel any signs of that coming back. But it's really great that Scott has shared that with us today.
0: Yeah, I think I'm quite shocked. I mean, I do suffer from a chronic condition myself, not ME. But I was actually shocked by how dreadful this condition can be and also how it affects you on a daily basis and from day to day. So, you know, one day you can be fine. So your friends expect you to come out and have a good time. And the next day you feel like death. So you have to stay in bed. And it's very hard for people who aren't affected to understand that. So it really shocked me how dreadful that diagnosis, if you like can be and i really hope that more research goes on and that there is somehow going to be some sort of treatment for it
2: as i say you know there's no specific test for it at the moment and a lot of people still don't believe it even just getting up in the morning or walking a few paces can absolutely exhaust you and you just feel that you can't do anything and especially when people don't believe you or they think that it's something that you have control of it can be such a terrifying time
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm thinking he did talk about the mental health aspects, but I think that's almost underestimated because to think that, you know, your whole life has changed almost overnight and you've lost everything that you loved doing before. And I know what that feels like. It's devastating. And I really do empathize with these people that are suffering.
2: And one thing I would say is there was a time where, you know, I felt, you know, that I was always going to be a certain way, but. I did a half marathon last month. I do three 10K runs a week now. I did three hours of tennis yesterday. So, to think that there is that journey back, and it is a slow process, and you, you have to make sure that you don't push yourself too much, but there is hope there. So, I'll just put that out to anyone that might be going through that at the moment.
0: Yeah, well, that's a brilliant note to end on, really, from that point of view, in that you've made a really good recovery. That's fantastic. So that's one good thing to leave us all thinking about.
9: For support and more information for better mental health, go to the Cornwall Mind website, cornwallmind.org or call the Mind Helpline during office hours on 0300 123 3393. And don't forget, you can call the Samaritans anytime for free on
0: 116 123.
1: A space to speak your mind with Cornwall Mind for better mental health.
9: Let's find out what's up happening at Cornwall Mind this month. It's Lucy from Cornwall Mind here today to let you know about a skydiving event we're hosting on Sunday the 26th of September at Perranporth Parachute Club. Get involved with a tandem skydive, raise funds for better mental health in our county, come and join us and experience the ultimate adrenaline rush over the best views in the UK. We've got staff and volunteers and friends of Cornwall Mind signed up to tandem jump. It's going to be one day to remember. And if you'd like some more information, if you'd like to register your interest email info at cornwallmind.org
1: a space to speak your mind
2: and great to hear about the skydive that's happening in september and jane i've signed up to do it
0: wow well done richard
2: I've never experienced anything of that kind before. In fact, sometimes, even on the small plane, I don't like being in a small plane. So I think actually jumping out of one is going to be quite an experience
0: yeah that's one thing you won't ever forget i don't think richard
2: and what we'll do we will cover the skydive in our september and october shows so if you want to find out what happens when i jump out of a plane
9: if you missed anything on today's show or if you'd like to listen to any of our previous shows you can download the podcast on apple google or spotify or wherever you get your podcast from just search for a space to speak your mind
2: That's all from us for now. Don't forget, if you missed anything, you can download the podcast.
0: And a Space to Speak Your Mind will be back next month. And we'd love you to be part of the show you can get
9: involved or let us know your thoughts right now if you'd like to be a part of the show get in contact with us email a space to speak your mind at gmail.com find us on twitter at a space to speak like our facebook page just search for a space to speak your mind
1: a space to speak your mind with cornwall
3: mind
9: for better mental health